will be very familiar to many of you. Others of you, it will be the very first time that you've contemplated. For some of you, it will be familiar, yet it will become fresh once again. How many know God can do that? Come on, manna can be fresh every day, right? And we're going to trust that God. So today I'm going to preach to you. I reached into the vault. This is the fourth time that in my 20 years of preaching that I preached from this message. I preached this message first at Shirley Maranatha Assembly of God. I then took that message to a prison that I might have the opportunity to tell you a little bit of the testimony related to that if time allows me to. Uh, when we were there in Shirley, I preached it my first or second year as the pastor of First Assembly, so that would be in 2003 or 2004. Since that time, it's been hidden in the vault of my heart and certainly of my sermon files. But I want you to know I don't have a, a, an, an old message. I have a fresh word. Come on, somebody. I, and it was just as it was so moving for me to regather it. And to just kind of re-identify with this passage and with this, this principle and then also with this person. So let's pray and let's ask God to bless this word. Because today we're, I'm going to preach to you a message that I entitled, The Scarlet Thread of Redemption. The Scarlet Thread of Redemption. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be able to worship you by virtue of the blood of Jesus that we've already sung about in song. God, today, what a tremendous group of men and women, my family and friends gathered here today to, uh, uh, to, to be a listening audience to the Word of God. Now, Father, they didn't come for a lecture, but they did come for a word. And I pray, God, that their heart would be prepared. Jesus taught us about good ground that receives the Word of God. James said that we can receive the engrafted Word, which is able to save our souls, God. Father God, I thank you that your word is like a fire shut up in my bones, and I cannot forbear. I cannot uh, prevent myself from speaking today. I must share what you've laid it on my heart. Now, Father, I do trust in the Holy Spirit's anointing that you could take, Father, somebody that's uneducated like myself, that's not the most articulate person, but somehow, some way, God, you can drop a holy uh, fragrance of your oil in this house today, and we'll feel the presence of a living God. And I pray that today, God, in the name of Jesus. Because as we sung a moment ago, oh, what a Savior that we have today. We stand in awe of him today, Father, and his glory and his majesty. And as we hear this message, may his glory and majesty resound, Father God, on our hearts, God. It's in Jesus' name. All of God's children said amen and amen. And you can be seated with me today. I'm going to journey just through a few passages of Scripture because... As we do so, I want to talk to you, and these scriptures speak, even though there's just a couple of verses taken from a particular author, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, the writer of the book of Hebrews, and also John the Beloved. And they speak to us about the virtue of the blood of Jesus. Now, if you're new to, the, to Christianity, then... It may seem at first when you hear about the blood or the covenant that we speak about that was cut through the blood of Jesus Christ, you may not understand it in, in even not only its entirety, but just even in its infancy in your mind. You might not even glean from it, but, but, but what as you study the Word of God, you'll find in Scripture that if not the key theme in the Scripture is the story of redemption, that man was lost because of Adam's transgression in the garden, but that God had a plan that before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ would be slain. God had prophetically declared it 4,000 years later when the fullness of time was come. Why? God sent forth his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Redemption is an exchange. It's a monetary exchange. We had sinned and breached the law of God. We deserve wrath and judgment. But God sent a substitution for us to absorb his righteous anger, his indignation, and his wrath. And that person was Jesus Christ. He died in our stead. He gave his life's blood. And through his life's blood, now you and I can have life and that life more abundantly. Come on, somebody. And so today, these scriptures just highlight perhaps just a little principle related to that particular subject. 1 Peter 1 and 18, verse number 18 and 19 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, this salvation could not be purchased by anything as silver or gold. Anything that was in the earthly realm could not purchase your eternal redemption. From your vain conversation, which means lifestyle, that you received by tradition from your fathers. 
He said, but your, in essence, he said, he said in this 19th verse, but your redemption then is through the precious blood of Christ. The most precious element in all of the world, even to this day, is the blood of Jesus. It's not platinum, it's not titanium, it's not gold, it's not some other type of ore that's hidden in the earth's structure, or, or, or the earth's surface. It's not, it's the blood that dripped from the veins of Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's the precious price that was paid for your and my redemption. Come on, somebody. Amen. Let's go. I'm going to backtrack to the book of Colossians. You follow either in your Bible or on the screen. I'm going to just go uh, the, the old-fashioned way and actually turn the pages of my Bible. Colossians 1 verse 12 says, giving thanks unto the Father. I love to give the Father thanks today, don't you? Uh, which he has made us meet or fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. God made us be able to receive of his inheritance because he, tra- he delivered us, 13th verse, uh, from the power of darkness. And he translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Come on, somebody. In whom we have what? Redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1 and 7 says, let me just turn there quickly. 1 John 1 and 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. I'm so thankful today that he made me clean. Come on, somebody. I'm made clean by virtue of the blood of Jesus. See, sin is contaminating. Sin makes you feel dirty, dirty in your conscience, dirty in your mind, dirty in your knowledge of God, in your ability to relate to other people. But when you've been washed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, come on, you'll be clean. Come on, you'll be clean from the inside out. You'll be clean. Hebrews chapter number 9. Let me read that for just a moment of time. Just these different authors give us just a little bit of perspective, just a little different perspective about the virtue of the blood. Here the author of the book of Hebrews says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So many people struggle in their ability to serve God. They're bound to the dead works of their conscience. But when you understand the power of the blood that redeemed you and your mind gets renewed by its virtue, then you suddenly have a mind where you can serve God. You are able to serve God in a clear conscience because you understand grace. Come on, let's go a little further. Romans chapter number 5. Let me read that to you just real quickly, the ninth verse of the fifth chapter of the book of Romans. He said, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now catch that. Don't forget it. It's going to come back to play later in the sermon. I won't take you into the depth of justification today, or at least the depth that I know, but I understand that when you're justified in Christ, it means it's just as if you had not sinned. Come on, more than acquitted, acquitted still leaves you in question. Did he sin? Did he not sin? Did he break the law? Did he not break the law? They just couldn't reach judgment, so they might acquit someone. But see, you've been justified before God. You've been declared innocent in the eyes of God. My God, come on, someone. That's what justification is. And so, therefore, it saves you from wrath. See, wrath fell on the cross, but wrath will fall on the world again one day. God has stored up wrath unto the day of wrath. And I don't want that wrath to fall on me, and I know it won't because I'm covered by that blood, justified in his sight. Ephesians then goes and gives us just a little bit different angle. So I just want you to just kind of just tuck these into your heart. These are just little nuggets of truth. Here there's two verses in the first chapter and then about eight verses we'll read quickly in the uh, second chapter. But here in the sixth and the seventh verse it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Notice these words accepted, things like that. You know, you're fit to be an inheritance in the saints. Or you, God has made you be able to receive this. You're accepted in his eyes. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It was by grace you are saved through faith. Come on, somebody. Not, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. 
Come on, not of works, lest any man should boast. The only one that has the right to boast concerning our redemption is the one that laid his life down freely and then had the power to take it up again. He can boast before God. Come on. Now we go to the second chapter of Ephesians. We'll begin at the 11th. No, no, no. We'll, yes, we'll begin at the 11th verse. And we're going to read through the 19th verse. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles. For a few brief moments, the apostle who, uh, who liked to not talk about the division of Jew and Gentile chose to talk about it in order to understand the principle of redemption even greater. Here he says, in times past, you were Gentiles in the flesh, simply meaning you were not Jewish, born of the natural lineage of Abraham. You who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. At that time, this was your life before Christ, you were without Christ. You were an alien from the commonwealth of Israel. You were a stranger from the covenant of promise. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. You were an idolater, a pagan, a sinner. Uh, there was none righteous, no light one. Our, our, our mouths and our lives uh, were filled with iniquity. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now the Jews were near to God because of the covenant that God had formed first with Abraham and then with Moses on Mount Sinai. But the Gentiles were afar off. But now you've been brought nigh. Come on, you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. He is our peace. He has made both one, broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He's abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments that was contained in ordinances for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace, so that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the what? The cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and he preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him, through Christ, through his blood, you both have access by one spirit unto the Father. And now, this is back to using the comparison of the Gentiles. You are therefore no longer, no more a stranger. Now, so many people never get this verse of scripture right here. And I encourage you to read this until you begin to realize what happened when you were translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. This is an extension of that thought here in the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. You are no longer a stranger. See, today, now we think a lot about what's going on in America today, and we think about illegal immigration we have illegals, you know, that may have crossed the border, can't come into America. So there's one class of people. Then we can oftentimes think about uh, green cards, those that came in legally, but they're not citizens. They might be working, but they're legally working with our system, but they're not citizens. But then we have citizens of the United States of America. I want you to know today that you're not an illegal alien. Come on, if you're covered by the blood, Right? You're not here on a green card today, right? You're a citizen, fellow citizen of the saints and of the household of God, right? And so, therefore, you are heir to the promises of God. Thank God for his word today. And all the people said amen. Now, these theological truths that are revealed to us by the New Testament apostolic writers here, uh, it takes revelation by the Holy Spirit. If we would have read further in the third chapter of the book of Ephesians, we understand that there were mysteries that were hidden from generation to generation to generation that only became readily known when the coming of the Holy Spirit was given after Pentecost. It was then that men could begin to understand the mystery of Christ crucified, the virtue and the power of his blood. And as that revelation was given, one of the key means and ways to understand these these dynamic spiritual truths are to look back into the Old Testament. Now, these are New Testament principles, but we look back into the New Testament and we see parallels. What we see, these are actually New Testament terms to describe it. Types, shadows, figures. They're foreshadowing the coming of Christ. These scriptures that were captured by the authors 
of the Word of God for, for a millennium. These scriptures, these lives, these testimonies, even when they went through the function of this life, they did not know that what they were doing or what they were participating in or their life or their lifestyle or their success or their failure was going to be a portrait that one day would help men and women all around the world understand the power of the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. Now, with this, let me just say this. Once you begin to study the Word of God through typology or through types and shadows, as you begin to do so, these truths will be revealed in your heart, and they will burn within your heart like the men that walk with Jesus down the Emmaus Road. For when the Holy Spirit begins to show you examples in the Word of God of these figures of both people and places and practices that included both things and objects and animals and all all of that that was captured in the portrait that is the old covenant. But now you looked back and it was almost like through a glass darkly. You looked at it and you didn't understand. But when the Holy Spirit is given, God gives us the lens. And suddenly we can begin to see. And we begin to see that the virtue of the blood of Jesus was not just known for the very first time when it was spilled on the cross. But it began in a garden called Eden when God slew an animal and covered Adam's nakedness but promised that there would come one of the seed of the woman that would actually destroy the work of the of the serpent that had bitten Adam and Eve in the garden and that virtue of that blood trails all the way through the book of Genesis until it reached its apex on a cross called Calvary where a man called Jesus had been crucified he shouldn't have been there because he was innocent in the eyes of God but he had willingly laid down his life on the cross and seven fountains of blood were open on that cross that day so that that blood as we sing the old song it reaches to the highest mountain it reaches to the lowest valley it went all the way back to that garden called Eden and it washed away the sin dead of Adam and it reached all the way forward to every man born of a woman and it said I will cover their transgressions if they will but come to faith in me glory to God hallelujah I don't know about you but when I think about the blood of Jesus Jesus. Come on, somebody. When I think about the blood, when I think about the virtue, the power that's contained in that blood, it changes my perspective of who God is and what he's done inside my life. Now, in foreshadowing these truths, there is a woman in the Old Testament whose faith and efforts are mentioned three times in the New Testament. And when someone has, in essence, given a uh, a character witness of this individual three times by three distinct authors in the New Testament, then it behooves us to look at her experience for just a few moments, for contained in her life, contained in what happened with her, contained in her story is the foreshadowing of the great truths of redemption that have been obtained through faith in the blood of Jesus. I'd like to read just real quickly those three verses of Scripture. I think they're going to place them on the screen for just a moment of time it's found in hebrews the 11th chapter i might just pull the glasses off and read it there by faith the harlot rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace and so the author here in the hebrew hall of faith as he mentioned all of these men of faithfulness to god here captures our attention by mentioning this woman and also connecting her occupation potentially her occupation occupation with it she perished not with them that believe not even James uh, the apostle and we'll read from his epistle here for a moment he said likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works he has a little different perspective than the writer of the book of Hebrews does but again in essence when she had received the messengers and sent them out another way James 2 and 25 but now this is one of the mysteries, though, in this last verse. It's in Matthew's first gospel, or Matthew's gospel, the first chapter. And it's in the genealogy that is actually the genealogy of Jesus. And we'll allude to it in a few moments. It says, Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. Now, theologians debate whether that Rahab is the same Rahab. But it is my belief, I'll share it with you later, not today, of why I believe it is the same. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. So she's captured by these three uh, both uh, these authors of scripture her story is so it behooves us to take a few minutes to just look back into her life 
and see what happened and just see if it can release something in our hearts that will strengthen us in who we are in Christ by virtue of the blood of Jesus. Let's take a moment of time and let me tell you about Rahab for a moment today. Now, Rahab's story comes to us in two chapters of the book of Joshua. The second chapter of our lost volume. Okay, I must have lost volume here. Joshua chapter number 2 and Joshua chapter number 6. But really, let me share with you that her story actually begins prior to the conquest of Canaan. If you're familiar with the word of God at all, you know that Joshua is uh, the successor to Moses. And Joshua is the one that's been chosen to lead the children of Israel out of their wilderness journeying, where they've journeyed for 40 years, into the promised land to cross the Jordan River and to go and begin to take take possession of the promised land. Now, the occupants of the promised land would not just arbitrarily lay down. They had to take their land from, come on. Sometimes you got to have an aggressive, active faith that takes things. Come on. And they had to take the promise of God and take the land by, by the force of God working in their lives. But her story, though, without this passage of Scripture, you won't understand the fullness of what took place in the second chapter and ultimately in the sixth chapter. And this is prior to Moses' death when he had gone up on Mount Nebo and died. He's giving the discourse that we know as the book of Deuteronomy. It's Moses' final farewell sermon. It's when he looked back at the 40-year history of the, of the people of Israel during the wilderness journey, and he gives some final exhortations. And i got to just read a couple of these to you because you've got to just tuck this away in your heart. It's in the first verse of the seventh chapter. Let me read it with you. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and thou hast cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and a lot of us one day would like to be able to cast out the Cellulites, but we'll move on from there. Seven nations greater and mightier than thou. Seven nations were in occupation in the promise land they occupied it but it didn't belong to them it belonged to God God had given it to this people that he called his own the Jewish people and when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee now this is militant this is brutal this is warfare of the of the ancient days it's things that you're seeing arrive in with Isis things that are flashing on our television screens it's brutal it's bloody uh, it's without mercy at times that's the way that much warfare was accomplished back thousands of years ago. And when we read this, God said to Israel, when you go in, God said, I'm going to deliver them unto you, and you're going to smite them and utterly destroy them. And notice what God said, you shall make no covenant with them nor show mercy unto them because they were a pagan people steeped in idolatry with some of the most wicked uh, practices that you can imagine, including using sexual uh, depredation, using it in, in some type of, of idolatrous practice to some uh, you know, imaginary God, but also child sacrifice was practiced by many of these uh, nations that were abiding in the land of Israel. And so God said, you're not going to show mercy unto them. And then notice this, the third verse. Neither shall you make marriages with them. Your daughter you won't give unto his son, and his daughter you won't take for your son. And why? Because God said they'll turn away your son from following me, that they may serve other gods, and the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and destroy you suddenly. And God said, so you're going to deal with them violently. You're going to destroy their altars, break down their images, and cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. Now, tuck that away. These are some of the final instructions that Moses is giving to Israel before he passes the baton of leadership to Joshua. He's raising up out of the men and women that survived the 40-year journey in the wilderness. He's raising up warriors, men and women that were as children. Children perhaps were uh, slaves in Egypt, but now God has transitioned them into an army. Come on, how many know God can do that? He can change, take you from where you are to where he wants you to be. And you may not feel like you're an overcomer today, but if you'll hold to God's hand, he'll make you an overcomer. So this group of men and women are getting ready to take possession of the promised land. We're going to pick this story up in the second chapter of the book of Joshua the very next book over here from the book of Deuteronomy. Now, prior to crossing the Jordan River, 
Israel had already began to take possession. The, the land of Israel included uh, both the west and a portion of the east side of the Jordan River. On the east side of the Jordan River, there were two kings, Sihon and Og. Their, te their testimony is captured in the book of Deuteronomy. Israel's already launched warfare against them, and he's taken their two kingdoms. Joshua now sends out two spies to spy out the land, especially Jericho, the great walled city of Jericho. I know you've heard about it. Now, we've learned on Wednesday nights that it was a strategic military move to go into the promised land and face Jericho first because we're going to put a picture, if we can, on the screen of what's called the Benjamin Plot, the Plateau. The Benjamin Plateau, you may struggle to see it just a little bit, though. You see where Jericho is today, and as you hit that top of the hill country right there, the hill country of, of, of Israel in that particular area is a plateau. It makes like a saddle, and what it actually was, was, was the crossroads to the north, the south, the east, and the west caravans. And Joshua knew if he could control that region, he could control the pop, the movement of people and kingdoms and nations that were trying to go north and south and east-west. And the first city that he needed to take was Jericho. It was a great walled city. The walls were approximately 12 feet wide. Numerous houses were built upon the wall. The record is picked up in the, 12, in the second chapter of the book of Joshua as we begin to look at it here for a few moments today let's read this together and just let the scripture speak joshua the son of nuns sent out of chittim two men to spy secretly first verse saying go and view the land even jericho and so they went in and they went into the land and they came into a harlot's house named rahab and they lodged there let me take a moment to talk about this now harlotry is often associated with idolatry it can also be associated with the practice of prostitution there are different types of prostitution in the old country, in the old world. Some of the prostitution was what we have today, street prostitution. There was also what we know as idolatrous prostitution, women that were used to, the worship of, to, to worship an idol through the practice of prostitution. Then there were those that actually ran a house. Now, this house was in actuality most likely an inn akin to a bed and breakfast, but the emphasis could be on the bed and not on the breakfast. And if you paid enough money, you could get a little bit of companionship in that bed that you slept in that night. And so to a degree, this was a place that had been accepted by their culture where these two men could slip in kind of secretly and go and get a room at the house or the harlot's house or the inn. And her name was Rahab, and they lodged there. Now this was told to the king of Jericho. And behold, there came men in thither, or in hither to the tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And so the king of Jericho, now let's just read this together. Let's calm down and slow down. You, you're not in a hurry, are you? Come on, let's let this text speak. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab and said, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the men. This is what James referenced. He said this was a part of her salvation by what her efforts was that she took. And she did. And these two men, hid. she hid them. And she said, Well, there came men unto me, and I knew not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate when it was dark that the men went out. So she's speaking this to the men that have come from the king to inquire about the two men that it was seen by probably the watchman on the wall that these two strangers had entered into the harlot's house. And so she said, they went out and whither the men went, I don't know. Pursue them quickly for you shall overtake them. But look at this. She had brought them up to the roof of the house. And she hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan and to the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down in bed that night, she came up unto them upon the roof. And notice this. See what has taken place in her heart and life as events have been happening around her. She says to the men, she said, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Now, if we had read earlier in the book of Deuteronomy, when Israel took the land of Og and took the other king, uh, um, Sihon, when they took his land, that word began to reverberate to the other cities that were on the other side of the river. 
that something was happening. There was a militant people that was coming that believed that a God that they had never seen or heard about previously had given them the land. And she said, she said, we began to hear about you. Your terror has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land will faint because of you. Listen, she said, we even heard how that the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Now, we live in a generation where that is argued by archaeologists that saying that, that there was no drying up of the water. It wasn't the Red Sea. It was the Reed Sea, and men walked across in just 18 inches of water. I don't know about you. I'm going to line myself with Rahab because Rahab said, I heard that God dried the waters up and that a whole nation of people crossed over when you came out of Egypt. We also heard what happened to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of the Jordan River, Sihon and Og, whom you have utterly destroyed. And when we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. Because, listen to this, I believe in a profession of faith. A profession of faith originates in your heart. You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. Come on, somebody. That's what salvation was in the new, in the new covenant and looks like salvation was uh, kind of uh, 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 connected to it in the old. And because and she said this, she said, because the Lord your God, he is the God in heaven. And he's God in earth beneath. Now, you may not believe that he's God in earth beneath. You may only think of him as the God in heaven. But I've come to tell you he rules and reigns, somebody. Come on, somebody. He rules and reigns from heaven, but his reign extends upon the earth. It does. And she said, and we know that. We've, we have seen this. She said, so therefore, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to swear unto me by your Lord, by your Lord, since I have showed you kindness she said that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. She said, I want you to give me your word. This is what she's saying. I need you to, uh, to speak for your nation, almost like an ambassador. She said, you're more in my eyes than just a spy. You're an ambassador, and you represent both your nation, the Israelites, but you also represent your God. And she said, I want you to speak an oath, and then I want you to give me a token that's tied to that oath that I can believe in and trust in to know that you're going to honor your word. And so the, the Scripture says that you will not just save me, but when you come in, you're going to save my father. You're going to save my mother. You're going to save my brothers and my sisters and all that they have. And you're going to deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, our life for yours if you utter not this our business. And it shall be, listen to this, he, they're about to speak prophetically by the unction of God. They left the army of Israel as a spy, but now they're standing as prophets of God whose words would be captured by the writer who gave us the book of Joshua that would resound for generation to generation to generation as they began to speak for the Lord. She said, when the, when the Lord hath given us the land, we will deal kindly and truly with thee. And she let them then... With they, when she heard that oath, she let them down. Her house was on the wall, and she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you out of the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may you go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this oath which you has made us swear when we come into the land. He said, But what we want you to do is we want you to bind this scarlet thread in the window which you did let us down by. And we want you to bring your father and your mother. Bind it in the window. And then he, she said, he said to, the, to her, to Rahab, after we leave, when we get up near the city, when you know the city's about to be destroyed, you better get your father, you better get your mother, you better get your brothers, you better get all your household, and they better abide in your house. Let's go a little further. And it shall be that whosoever goes out of the doors of the house into the street, then his blood's going to be on his head. Because if you're not obeying the word of God, then that blood's not applied. Come on. Then, then you're just, uh, that, your own blood's on your head. He said, you'll break the oath. You'll breach the oath. He said, and we'll be get guiltless. And whosoever will be of thee in the house, 
his blood will be on our head if any man lay hand upon him. And if you tell anybody about our business, then we will be quit of the oath which you has made us to swear. Now, look at this 21st verse. I love this passage of Scripture right here. My God, this will make a Baptist preach today. Glory to God. 21st verse, and she said, according unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away. And when they departed, she took that scarlet thread that she had lowered them down to the ground from the casement of her window, and she had lowered them to their safety where they would go back to the army and report to Moses or to Joshua everything that had transpired and she then pulled that rope up and she took that and she looked to the very casement that she had lowered the wind out of her window and she there tied that scarlet thread to the window and there it remained then the Bible doesn't tell us how long it was before that Joshua led the Israelites back to the city of Jericho but many days did transpire the Jordan River stood in their way God began to show him as God. Miraculous things took place. The spies go back and they report to Joshua and they say, Joshua, man, listen, the heart of the people are trembling because of uh, what God's doing. The city is right for taking. But you know what? We made an oath with a woman whose house we stayed in because she saved our lives by hiding us from the king and we gave our word that we would spare his, her household when we come in. And you know what? They did everything that God had said not do. God said, don't make an oath with anybody and don't spare anyone when you go into the city for destruction. But how many of you know that if you really begin to understand the power of redemption that comes to us from the mercy of God, that before God is judged, he is merciful. Come on, somebody. And so she, he had bound himself by his own oath. And so Joshua heard, evaluated the situation, and Joshua gave a, a, a response and said, we're going to destroy every inhabitant of the city except for the household of Rahab. Now, they gathered their army up. This is a powerful story from the third chapter to the sixth chapter. You have to read this on your own. They go to the edge of the Jordan River. The Jordan River is swollen with water because it's springtime. Water surface can ride in Jordan 15 to 20 feet at that time. It can go from being 15 or 20 foot across in certain places to being hundreds of feet across. And it was a springtime flood. And Joshua got near with an army of men and women who might remember if they were infants when they came out of Egypt. And the God that had brought them out of Egypt was Joshua's God. And Joshua sent the priests that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant into the river first. The waters were still swirling. They were at flood stage. But the moment that the priest stepped his foot in the water, the hands of God took the water and rolled it all the way back to cities way down the line until a group of men and women took possession of the promised land and when the last priest stepped over and stepped up out of the banks of the Jordan River the waters the flood waters came rushing back in again and everybody heard about it the different kings and cities began to hear about it that this is no ordinary army this is no ordinary people group this is a people that's got a mysterious God working on their behalf that's doing things that nobody's ever heard about a glorious work of God and so the scripture then tells us that when they got into the, into the promised land, the first thing they did was they celebrated Passover. Oh, my God, I could just preach right there. They celebrated Passover because the blood that had brought them out of Egypt's bondage was the blood that had brought them into their promised land, and they celebrated Passover. And for the first time since the journey in the wilderness began, there was no more manna. Because God said, now you're going to harvest from the fields that I've given you. And the manna was dried up. And that took place over a period of several days. And they went to the walled city of Jericho. And the scripture tells us, the scripture tells us, and we're going to read just a portion of it to close the message out here in just a few moments, that Joshua in the sixth chapter gives instruction to the Israelites of how they're going to take the city. It's very unique. There's not another passage in scripture like it. He gathers the armies of Israel together, and he says, for six days, we're going to walk around the city with our voices muted. Jojo said it earlier today, there's a time to just be muted, as well as there's a time to lift up your 
your voice. He said, mute your voices, walk in array. One time a day, we're going to go around the city. We're not going to say anything. We're not going to play music. We're not going to do anything. Now, you got to remember, the people are inside the city. They've heard about destruction. This is God's judgment. God is determined to judge the Amorite people. He's determined to judge the Canaanite people and the inhabitants of Jericho. And the chosen vessel of judgment is the Israelite nation that has just been born when the waters of the Jordan River has closed back and they're now taking possession of their promised land. And so for six days, once a day, they walk around the walled city not saying anything, but inside the city you know panic is skewed. You know that men and women and their, and their, and their, and their perverted lifestyles begin to cry out to their Canaanite deities to deliver them from the army and to no avail. And then when the seventh day drew near, Joshua drew everybody together. And he said, we're going to do something altogether different. It's now the seventh day. We're not going to walk around it just six or one time a day today. But today we're going to march around the city seven times. How I many you know seven is God's number of completion? And God was bringing to completion what he had began. And so for on that day, they were going to walk the seventh time but this time it wouldn't just be the army he said I want you to send me seven priests with seven trumpets and I want them to sound the trumpets and then he said when you finish the seventh time they're going to blare the trumpets and when they do I want every man armed with the sword to shout a shout of victory don't wait until you have the battle completed to shout the shout of victory the shout of victory happens before you ever wet your blade in battle and so the scripture says that on the seventh time that they blew the trumpet seven times and when they did all the people shouted and God stretched his mighty hand down and even archaeologists have told us that the walls of Jericho were flattened as if an unseen force pushed the walls down and gave men access to the city. But now what an amazing sight it must have been to every man that was in the army. Because all the city walls fell flat, except for there was one house still standing on the wall because a scarlet thread was hanging in the window because a house of, of iniquity had now become a house of refuge and the family of, of Rahab was gathered there and they were trusting what? They weren't trusting in the Canaanite deities. They weren't trusting in Shemosh and Amalek. They weren't trusting in all these pagan gods. You know who they were trusting in? They were trusting in a word that was bound to a token that was hanging from a window that God said through the prophet who was a spy, who had become an ambassador, whose words still live today, that if you'll hang that scarlet thread in your window, then I'm going to tell you, I'm going to save you from wrath. I don't know about you. I read to you in Romans, the fifth chapter, I've been justified by his blood and I've been saved from wrath by virtue of the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you. When I think about the topology of the moment, I see the virtue of the blood of Jesus. You may see nothing more than a rope hanging out of a window, but I see a covenant that was cut with the blood of Jesus Christ on a cross called Calvary, and it's that blood that gives me access to the holy presence of God to this very day. Hallelujah. Thank God. Come on, somebody. I said, thank God for the blood of Jesus. Now, if we let's go ahead and let's read this to bring it to a finality here today. In the 20th verse, it says here, so the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass that when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Notice this, and they utterly destroyed all that were in the city, man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. But look what Joshua said. What's so awesome about this next three verses of Scripture is that if you know a little bit about Hebrew, you know that Joshua is Yeshua in the Hebrew and it's the same for Jesus. So if you just kind of read it like this, and Jesus, Yeshua said unto the two men that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she has as you swear unto the herd. 
And the young men that were spies went in and they brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all that she had. And they brought them out, all of her kindred, and they left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire. 25th verse. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive, her father's house, all that she had. And she dwells in Israel even unto this day. My God, I feel the Holy Spirit right there that when you read that word and Yeshua saved the harlot Rahab, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. What matters is what you believe in. It matters what you believe in. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Come on, our lives, if we were measured up, we could be harlots like Rahab. But we put our faith, our trust in the virtue of the blood of Jesus, the scarlet red blood that flowed out of the veins of Jesus 2,000 years ago. It's never lost its power. It's never lost its power. And I can just imagine Rahab when she got her, her father and her mother and her brothers. It seems as if she's unmarried by the text and there's probably children and warfare's going on around them. The walls have fallen flat. I'm sure there's hysteria in the house. But I could just see Rahab sitting there amongst all the hysteria and pointing. Come on, somebody, pointing to that scarlet thread in the casement window. Pointing to and saying, listen, those men gave me their oath. I'm going to trust in that oath that they spoke over me. I'm going to trust that what they said, that they're going to honor their word. And she would calm their fears by virtue of the token that hung in the window. Let me tell you what the mystery is to that today. The mystery to that is today is that you and I have got to trust in the virtue of the blood of Jesus. The power of the blood, the power of confession of the blood. (laughs) Do you know how to confess the blood? Do you know how to plead the blood? Come on, some of you say, my kids are away in the far country. Well, do you know how to plead the blood? Come on, are you going to give up on them or are you going to plead the blood over them? That's what I come to ask you today. I believe salvation belongs to your house. I believe it belongs to your children and your children's children. But I need a Rahab among us that says, I'm going to trust in the virtue of the blood of Jesus. I'm going to plead it over my family. I'm going to plead it over my home. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. It doesn't matter. I'm going to trust the blood. I'm going to trust the blood. Come on, are y'all with me today? To trust the blood. I'm not trying to stir you up into a frenzy. I'm trying to point you to a timeless principle. The power of the blood of Jesus Christ will translate you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Now, in my mind, I've thought about this many times as I've meditated upon it. And when the, if we, we read the text that when the, when the walls fell flat and they began to they began to, you know, warfare was on. And I know that the inhabitants of Jericho fought back to no avail, but they did fight back. So the scripture says Joshua sent the same two spies back to the house. So now in your mind, you got to see this. There's conflict going around. If they just left the house by themselves, then they would have been killed. So they had to wait on the on the spy who's an ambassador slash prophet to get there to bring them out. But now you're talking about going through a city where warfare is taking place. You thought about this? Confusion, pandemonium. You don't know who's friend or foe. You don't know who's an Israelite or a Jericho inhabitant. But this is my belief. It's not in Scripture. But this is what I've just kind of read into it. God forgive me if I read into it the wrong way. Do you know what I believe in? I believe that those two spies, this is some of my family right here, just want you to know that. Grab hold of that chassis right there. Take a hold of Amber. Take a hold of Leif. Take a hold of Austin. Take a hold of Alyssa. Reach over that coat and grab it. Stand up. Y'all shouldn't have sat on the front row if you didn't want to participate. <laughs> this is what I believe happened. Come on. Y'all got to walk with me. Come on. I know you don't want to. Come on now. I don't know. Are y'all catching what I'm talking about here today? Come on, he was, leading them, he was leading them out right here. They were clinging, clinging, clinging. Hold fast. Hold fast. To your, are y'all with me out there, church family? Hold fast to your profession of faith without wavering. Don't let it go. Cling to it. It's the virtue of the blood of Jesus. Y'all can see, be seated. It's the virtue of the blood of Jesus. Hold fast. Hold fast. Now, my heart is bound to emotion this week. I've been bound to this sermon. I'm also bound to what's going to place, take place Tuesday morning when my little girl gets in an automobile with her mom and she takes off to California. And I'm going to cry and I'm going to 
sob, but in my heart I will not have unbelief. You know why? Because I'm going to say, Alyssa, when you're in California, you're going to hold fast to a scarlet thread. And the God that kept Rahab is the God that will keep you. And the God that will keep my family it's the God that will keep your family. But you got to trust in the blood. you got to trust in the blood. Shane, y'all come back. Let me close. Let me close today. You've got to trust in the blood. Are y'all hear what I'm saying today? Listen to this. Remember what I read out of the book of Deuteronomy? Moses said, don't make a covenant with them. But they did. Moses said, don't spare any of them. But they did. Moses said, don't take any into marriage. But it seems that they did. Let me read a little further. The power of faith and the power of the blood of Jesus. Rahab was saved and her family. We read Matthew, the first chapter, the fifth verse. It seems as if Rahab, if that's right, it seems as if Rahab married a man by the name of Salmon. Did you know that most biblical historians believe that he's one of the spies? Wouldn't that be just like God? Send her rescuer and to send her husband in to get her out. Are y'all hear what I'm saying? Well, if that's the case, she gave birth to a man they named Boaz. <laughs> Come on now. You mean Boaz, the one that's recorded in the book of Ruth? Yes, that Boaz. Until a second generation later, Jesse and his wife gave birth to a man by the name of David. And the apex of the story is this, that the genealogy of Jesus Christ traces its way through a woman by the name of Rahab who trusted a God that she had just learned about that if he spoke something it would come to pass and she put her faith in a token that she hung in her casement window and I believe in typology and when Rahab came into the family this is just crazy I believe I believe she kept that cord. I believe she was knitting with it. And when she was walking through the streets of the cities that she dwelt in, I believe she'd keep a little bit of a piece of cloth of that cord around her all the time. In case anybody thought to themselves, she doesn't belong here. When they said she doesn't belong here, she says, well, I guess I do. <laughs> Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today, church family? Now listen, go back with me. I read scriptures that said you've been redeemed. You've been saved from wrath. You've been justified. You've been translated into a whole new existence. And now you're a fellow citizen. And you're not a stranger to the promises of God. That's who you are in Christ. If your faith is in the blood of Jesus. I'm going to give an altar call in a moment's time, but I want to ask everyone in this room to stand up with us, and we're going to sing a familiar song, Oh, the Blood. And as you sing this song today, I want you to put your faith in all that you are, not in your works, not in your effort, not in anything you've done, but your faith in the blood of Jesus because it was shed for you. Let's sing this song, church family, and I'll be back in just a moment of time.